0: Um, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our study. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void. You always, 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 always pursue us, Lord. No matter what state we are in, you are pursuing us, God. It is us, Lord, who choose to turn aside from you, Lord, not you from us. You're always pursuing us, God. Just ask that you would just guide God and direct this time. You just write upon the fleshly tablets of our hearts so we wouldn't miss out on what you want to speak to us tonight, God. We just humble ourselves before your word, Lord. Just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. And so, uh, continuing through the book of Genesis, we're in, if, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will bring a Bible to you. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. If you do not own a Bible, you can can keep it. Um, Sunday mornings, we're still going through the book of John. It's been a really good study. But Genesis chapter 3, we've covered creation. We've covered, um, you know, Adam and Eve being uh, created. The first marriage, we covered Adam naming all the animals and everything, Um, and God seeing that He needed a helper. Um, In my opinion… And it's always dangerous when a pastor says my opinion. It has, you know, very little weight to it. It's just my opinion. In my opinion, though, this chapter of the Bible, it's very powerful. Um, and you might say, well, okay, the whole Bible is powerful. And yes, it is. Um, but this chapter, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's powerful, and, and it's very sad in the fact that the fall of mankind is documented in it. Um, but in contrast to the fall of man, we also see the grace of God and his kindness and love towards Adam and Eve and towards us. We have a great example um, of the way Satan tempts humans with his lies in in Genesis chapter three. Uh, We have a great example of the way human beings, you know, us, the way we listen to these distorted truths that Satan speaks out. That's what a lie is, it's a distorted truth. It's not, any variation of the truth is a lie. We also see the accountability that God holds Adam and Eve to, and also the accountability that he holds to Satan for their actions. There are consequences for our choices. It, it, it be prior to, you know, Genesis 3, you know, God has finished creating the world in all of its magnificent splendor. The sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, the birds, the animals, the fish, the creeping things. God formed Adam, breathed his own breath into Adam, gave him life. God made Eve out of Adam's rib, gave Eve to Adam to be his wife, the first marriage we see. God placed them in a perfect garden, the Garden of Eden. God walked with them, He talked with them, just like you and I do with each other. Everything was perfect. There wasn't one thing out of place. God gave them everything they could possibly need or want, which is just how a loving father is, right, with his children. It was absolutely perfect, and it was good. God loved them so much that he even warned them about not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, we read this prior, a couple weeks ago. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This was the one thing they were to abstain from, one one thing. Now we see what occurs next in Genesis chapter 3, if you read with me. We won't get through all of the chapter tonight, just to let you know. There's just too much in between these 24 verses. In Genesis chapter 1, it reads Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? It's fascinating. There are some that teach that this part of the Bible, the serpent and such, is an allegorical text. Or in other words, a metaphor, an, allegor- an, al- an allegorical text or allegory is a metaphor. It's not fact. But the text is fact. It would be, if you, if, if you look at this text as a metaphor, uh, y- it would be, you'd be hard-pressed to believe uh, that Adam and Eve existed at all and therefore were not the first humans created by God. You'd have to throw the whole chapter out. You'd have to throw the whole book out because we know that God in His great understanding gave us His text. We, we read that, it, 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 it's, that it's alive, that it's breathing, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that, that the Bible was not written by man. It was inspired. In other words, it was gifted to man by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so everything that's in here, if you even tried to Disprove the text using the technology that we have to validate historical texts and languages. You would fail at trying to disprove the text because it's truth, and it's God. I God God. I love the Lord that He He knows how to 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 put uh, cosmological and geological and all sorts of other illogical things. I'm just kind of using that as a, a joke in a sense, but he can put anything and everything necessary to prove his word to be true to mankind because he wants us to trust him and so sometimes you know we people throughout ages read the bible and they're like that is impossible how in the world could a serpent talk to somebody so it's important for us to understand that what we read here is not a metaphor but it's fact See, the serpent was not always on its belly and eating the dust. The serpent or snake was made to slither on its belly as its curse from God. We read that later on in Genesis 3. We'll read this in a moment if we get there, which uh, we may not get to that part tonight. So we really have no idea if it was an upright or on four legs, if it could fly with wings. We do not know what the serpent physically looked like at this moment in the Genesis account. We just don't know. What we do know is that this serpent was inhabited by Satan, or maybe Satan took the physical form of the serpent to blend in into the settings of the garden. In context of this Scripture, we just do not know the exact how and such, but we know that Satan was the one that tempted Eve. We do know that Satan was in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to read Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 30 sorry, verse 13 through 19. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you, you were on the holy mountain of God, you walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones." Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquities of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. So, before Satan's fall from heaven, he was of the highest ranking angel, but he was thrown from his place. We see here in the first verses of Ezekiel 28, like I had read, that he was adorned with certain precious stones. Isaiah 14, verse, and you might be asking, well, why are you getting so far into like Satan and and, and all of this? It's important for us to understand that Satan was there in this place. He existed there. He, he existed. He was a created being. He's not equal with God. He was created by God. Nothing is equal with God. And he was thrown from heaven. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 15 says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Jesus spoke about Satan's fall also. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus speaking, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He was speaking at the time about people coming back and saying all the great things they did for the Lord, and he used this as a statement of pride for us to not be proud about things. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, so the great dragon was cast out. And this is interesting too. We, We don't know what form he had. We, he, we, we see in the Bible that a serpent, a, a dragon, we just don't know. Uh, we, we do know, though, that he was a terrible being. He took his place that God had given him and used it for his own ill gain and his own pride and wanted to take God's throne. He wanted to be God so we see Revelation twelve nine. so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan. And when it says the devil and Satan, it's not saying two different beings. It's, it's using that as, you know, I'm dad and I'm father also, and I'm also husband, right? So am I dad separate, father separate, husband separate? No, I'm called those different things. And so we see here that Satan's called the devil and he's called Satan. Who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. We know that there were angels that were thrown from heaven that followed him. Those are demons, okay? So Satan and demons were thrown from heaven. I'm sorry. (laughs) Satan and angels were thrown from heaven, and they caused havoc on the earth. Satan was not, his his fall though, I'm not sure when his fall happened timeline-wise. We do know that You know, the Garden of Eden was perfect; sin wasn't there. So, it's I'm assuming that the enemy, Satan, was not in his fallen state when he came and communicated with Eve, because we know that 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 sin didn't exist; evil wasn't there yet. Um, So, I'm not sure if him wanting to be like God was before then or during that moment. We don't know the timeline of it, but we just know that he was there and he did tempt Eve. Charles Spurgeon says this, we may not understand everything involved in the way Satan used the body of a serpent, but we can know it was true, and this is no mere fable. It is idle to call the narrative of the fall a mere allegory. One had better say at once that he does not believe the book, in other words, does not believe the Bible at all. There was a real serpent, as there was a real paradise. There was a real Adam and Eve who stood at the head of our race. They were the first humans, and they really did sin. They really sinned, and our race is really a fallen place. We must believe this. We also see in Genesis chapter three, verse one, that Satan was cunning. If you go back to the text, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. So we see here that he was cunning, he was crafty, and more cunning than any human being ever could be. In fact, he is the father of lies. John chapter eight, verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desire of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he, he is a liar and the father of it. He's the father of it because we see in the account of Genesis, he came and breathed the first lie to a human. Picking back up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, and this is always fascinating to me. So, you know, we, because of our culture and everything, you know, Adam and Eve would not have seen, obviously, the, 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 Satan clothed himself in a way that would cause Eve to feel the freedom to communicate with him. He was deceptive, okay? Um, one commentator's like, you know, it's possible that Adam and Eve had communication with angelic beings. You know, they communicated with God. Most likely, it was Jesus, precarnate, um, that, they, that they hung out with because nobody has seen God physically, God the Father. We know that. The t- Bible tells us that no one has seen him face to face. And so we don't know exactly, you know, what shape or form the enemy took except a serpent. And, 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 but, and it's fascinating to me that Eve started talking with this being so 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 the conversation she wasn't afraid she was it was just a common thing for her to have this communication going on. So the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat the of we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden." So back into Genesis chapter 1 where it says now the serpent, I mean sorry, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, now, it's always good to look at context and how things were said. <clears throat> and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said? So, right away, Satan starts planting the question mark in Eve's mind about God's word towards her. That's what he does. He's a liar. He, 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 he spins the truth to be a lie, he, he causes us to question the validity of God. He causes us to question, can God really keep me from this? Can, you know, am I able to walk this life out without going back to this area of my life? He causes us to question God. And so this is the tactic he uses on Eve, and he's been doing it for centuries and decades. Has God indeed said? He, so he questions God's word. He, he questions the woman. Has God, did God really Really? Did he really say this? Are you sure, Eve? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Well, that's not what God said. God didn't say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So, so, so Satan started twisting God's word and started causing Eve's mind to start, well, really, what, what did God really, did God really say? Uh? And here's her answer. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. And she continues in verse 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2. It's easier for me to find it in my notes. Genesis chapter 2, 17 God's direction to them but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die and we see Eve's answer to Satan but of the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden God has said you shall not eat nor shall you touch it lest you die now through my studies of this so a couple of things can be said about verse three about her answer one, um, she didn't quote what God had told them, okay? Uh, hold on to that thought. The other, the other thinking, too, is that, well, maybe Adam said, hey, stay far away from that tree. Don't even get around it. Don't touch it. And, and, and inherent, in, in, you know, that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, okay? What can be wrong, though, in, in this type of situation, we can apply this to our lives, is that In our day and age, especially in our day and age, with the amount of information that's given to us, we have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have TikTok, we have podcasts, we have every single type of information freely available to us. Um, and, 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 And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men and women out there that are propagating their own doctrine mixed in with the Word of God. And we see here that Eve answered Satan with possibly her and her husband's doctrine mixed in with the Word of God. You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said, don't touch it. just said, don't eat it. And so it's important for us as believers, as Christians, to make sure that we take God's Word at face value, that we memorize it, that we live it, that we read it, and that we apply it, and that we don't take our own doctrine, and try and marry it to the Word of God. There's pulpits that are even in our community where people have made the pulpit a place for militant and political propaganda and not for teaching the Word. Now, I believe in the military, and I believe that you should vote appropriately, but I, don't, I believe this is sanctified and set aside for the teaching of the Word of God. We could have all of our conversations outside of this, but, and so it's important that the word of God be understood and protected, and, and Eve added something to it. Commentator Clark, on the nor shall you touch it part, quotes this, some Jewish writers state that as soon as the woman had asserted this, in other words, as soon as the woman had spoken this, The serpent pushed her against the tree and said, see, you've touched it, and you're still alive. You may therefore safely eat of the fruit, for surely you shall not die. Again, that's a Jewish writer's creative thought about the situation. Because Satan's so crafty, he will use things against us. He will twist the Word of God. He twisted the Word of God to Jesus when he tempted Jesus after his 40 days of, after his 40 days of fasting. And so it's important for us to rely upon the Holy Spirit, rely upon the power of God. We are not equal to the enemy. We are not greater than Satan. He is a supernatural, powerful entity that is extremely intelligent, that is super smart, and, and, and I talked about this last week that Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They were in perfection. They walked with God. They had everything given to them. Sin didn't exist. And if Satan can come along and tempt them in that environment, who are we to think that we can overcome that without the power of God in our lives? So we need to rely upon the power of God. Sometimes that just means throwing our hands and saying, Lord, help you know, I in James go there. Give me a second, this isn't in my notes, I apologize. This happens sometimes when I'm teaching. James chapter four verse 6 through 8. says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The key is to submitting to God. When we stay submitted to the Lord, we can stand. There's a resistance. Once we submit to the Lord, Satan doesn't, he, oh, okay, I got to go somewhere else. I got to go bother somebody else. James chapter four, verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is such a key verse for our lives, submitting to the Lord and resisting. Submit and resist. But we do that under the power of God, not under our own power. We do that under the direction of the word of God, not under our own direction. And we see here in Genesis chapter three, verse four, Again, Satan questioning, causing the woman, causing Eve to question. He says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So we see here this conversation, the, and I'm going to go back and read the verses again just so we have it all in the way the, the back and forth would have been. Now the serpent is more cunning than than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of which is in the midst of the garden. God has said you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Hence why the commentator would have suggested maybe Satan pushed her into the tree and now says you're not gonna die. So again, we see this ploy, this this. This process that the enemy is in getting Eve to feed into his thought process. You're not going to die. You won't die. Satan created the thought in Eve's brain. Was God really saying we would die? See, that is a tactic of Satan to get us to question God's word. Is that really what God said? Is that really not what he wants me to do? Is that really what God asked me to do? Is God's word real? Can I trust God's word? You see, this old tactic is still used on us, all of us today, myself included. The enemy is always chomping at my brain. Temptation and all sorts of different things. That's why we have to submit to the Lord and resist, and the enemy will flee. I'm glad that God gives us a plan. He just doesn't leave us in a dark field to die. Verse five of Genesis chapter three. For God knows that in the day you eat, so, so Satan's, telling this, Satan's telling this to Eve, you, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day uh, you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There he closes the deal. Starts out causing Eve to question God's word. Eve gives an answer that eh, was kind of there, but not there. Satan Doubles down, you're not going to really die. And then he sinks his teeth in. Satan elevated the thought that God was keeping Eve from gaining something by not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that how temptation is? The enemy comes in and, like, we, wanna, we don't want to do this. And then, like, our flesh is just, yeah, but, you know, and, uh, well, I won't surely die. We give in. The tactic's been going on since the start of mankind, and I'm so glad that Jesus was sent, our Savior, dying on a cross for our sins. God knew. I, I, I was thinking about this before tonight, just in, in my office preparing, and, and, and actually during worship. Um, sorry, and and I was thinking, you know, why did God allow all this? But what if it was just Adam and Eve, only in the garden? Would 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 we be would 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 Jesus be available to the whole rest of the world? I mean, if you really go through the history of the Bible, if you go through all of it and the way God pushed you know, his people to, to propagate the earth and then the Tower of Babel where he separated everybody out and it's like God made sure that the whole earth would be propagated by human beings and then he sent his son in such a way so that the whole earth would be saved. So we always have to trust God's plan because we can look at this and go, why in the world did you allow this to happen, God? But maybe the Lord, and this is just me thinking, maybe God allowed this, and this is a slippery slope speaking this way, but maybe God allowed this to happen so that His Son would be available for the whole earth, for all of mankind. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and we're not going to get there today. It's the proto-evangelium, the first mention of the gospel. That's why in my opening statement, I talked about how that... Genesis 3, it's sad, but yet it also shows God's grace and his love and his kindness towards Adam and Eve and towards us, and we will see that next week on Wednesday. So back into this conversation, Satan totally sinks his teeth in at the end in verse 5 and tells her, hey, you know what? God's keeping something from you that you want. Where he says you will be like God in other words, God is keeping this from you. See, this tree is good for you. You will get what you need. The slithery evil being spoke to her, like so slick, and she ate it up. So when the woman saw, now this is very, a key verse too, so that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So we see that the serpent said to the woman, you will, you will not surely die, and then he tells her, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I can just picture Eve just looking at it going, oh, I could, I, could, I could be like something I'm not? You mean how God made me is less than? God's plan for me is is sub-perfect. It's not all there. I need something more. Isn't that how we are in our life? We want more, 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 more. We're not satisfied. We can't sit at God's feet. We can't pray. We're not satisfied by just what God wants to give us. That's why the industry of marketing and technology and all of it is just built to make you so burdened by just needing everything but God, and it, it never satisfies. Never satisfies. I come from industries of money, 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 money. I, I, my background is sales. Um, I worked in the jewelry industry. I've dealt with hundreds of thousands of dollars. I watched people just spend tons and tons of money, anniversaries, Rolex watches, and all of this stuff. I sold real estate for a time. People just—I oh, gotta have this tile, and I—I I mean, in new houses, I watch husband and wives like we gotta have this plug over here, and like, like we're wired for this. We're wired to be satisfied by something. And Satan knew that, and he caused Eve's mind, her thinking about God, her thinking about God's word, to be less than, and then he made her feel like what God was giving her wasn't good enough. And isn't that how we are when we come to a place of, of salvation? You know, we're afraid to give our life to the Lord. Well, you know, Lord, I've done too much. You, 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 can't, you can't handle me or, or you're not good enough to take care of me. Or I've heard, heard people say, if I walk in a church, the ceiling's gonna fall down on me. You know, and it's like, you know, we, we discount the reality of God's love and his magnificence and his power to set a person free from the bondage of sin and death and we discount the reality of that and God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin that we wouldn't have to. And the enemy tried to screw all that up right in the beginning. Oh, God's... Oh, he's got this relation with mankind. I'm going to kill that off. Oh, I heard maybe his son's coming through these human beings. I'm going to destroy that. And he used Adam and Eve. He thought he won. Satan thought he won. So sly. Let us not believe the lie that the enemy feeds us. Let us not believe that how God has made us is less than. Let us not believe that God can't satisfy the desires of our heart. It's through our relationship with Jesus that we learn to trust him, that we learn to abide with him. God's word says if we abide in him, he abides in us. Like there's this joining, this relationship with him. And Satan tried to destroy that in the very beginning. And so he plays into this this human peace that Eve had, that all of us have, this lustful desire. Verse six, so when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. It's interesting that it says desirable to make one wise. How could she know that? She was fantasizing in her mind. The enemy was at work and she's just, she's fantasizing how this tree, yes, I'm gonna be like God, I'm gonna be wise like God because of this fruit. So she took of it and she gave it to her husband. She gave it to Adam. She took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband with her and he ate See, Eve pondered what the serpent said. That's when we really get into trouble. When the enemy comes in and starts feeding us lies or starts tempting us, when we start playing with those thoughts in our mind, that's when we, when we are not submitting to the Lord and resisting the enemy. That's when we're playing with fire in our lives. We're playing with temptation, and Eve did that. So Eve pondered what the serpent said. She lingered at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and Eve gave in to the temptation. We see three things here. First is the lust of the flesh, where it says that she saw that it was good for food with her eyes. The lust of the eyes. Uh, it sees, we see that, so, so we see the lust of the flesh. We see the lust of the eyes where, where the word says that it was pleasant to the eyes. And the pride of life, a tree, desirable to make one wise it's those three areas of our lives the lust of our flesh man the pride we got to do good i have to you know i gotta be a man i gotta succeed for ladies i'm not a lady so i don't know what you guys deal with in that terms i'm sure you deal with performance just like us guys do you're human but our flesh it's never satisfied Our eyes are never satisfied. I'm sorry, I drive by car lots, right, and I'm staring at the trucks, even though God's blessed my family with vehicles, or or it could be anything, you know, anything that your eyes want to see, lusting after things that please your eyes, and the pride of life, where it says, desire but to make one wise. So Eve looked at this thing that God said, don't eat of it, and all of this flooded in to her mind. Why? Because she allowed the enemy to lie, to twist God's word, and she started, she she disbelieved, she doubted God's word. That's really what happened here, okay? Is God's word more powerful than the enemy? Yeah, we stand on it, absolutely. Was God's word powerful in Genesis? Absolutely, in this account, Eve doubted what God had said. Doubted. And the enemy played right into that, and that's what we do. When the enemy comes in, starts causing doubt in our life. We need to confess our doubt. We need to say, Lord, help me, Jesus. I just cleanse my mind. We need to not allow the lust of our flesh to guide our life. We need to not allow the lust of our eyes to dictate our life. And we need to not allow pride to dictate our life. Because see, when Eve did this in doing so, she acted independently, one, of Adam. She wasn't being led by her husband. She acted on her own. She acted independently of Adam. Adam was her head, her husband. She should have consulted with him instead of usurping his authority. She never involved him. She just... Had this conversation with this entity and ate of it and said, Hey, here. (laughs) Later on in the story, we see the first back and forth God, it's the woman you gave me, it's the serpent. We see the first passing the buck. That's next week. Not taking responsibility for our actions. So she took of the fruit and ate. This was an act of disobedience. And then she gave it to her husband, Adam. And Adam was in the process of not leading. So Eve acted in disobedience and Adam was acting in the disobedience of leading. He didn't lead Eve. It's I, We don't know where Adam was physically. We know that at this point he was there because she gave the fruit to him and he ate. But we do know that Throughout scripture, that the husband is the head of his household, he's the leader of his wife, not in oppression or, or, or forcing them to do anything. There's a communion that God has given between a husband and wife, and, and we know that to be true, and the Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation. It's in sync with each other. It doesn't contradict each other. And so it's safe to say that Adam and Eve had the same roles. Adam was the leader, and Eve was his wife. Maybe it's that Satan chose Eve because she was the weaker vessel. We don't know. But we do know that he's crafty and that he's a liar and that he hates us and he wants to destroy us. He roams around like a roaring lion waiting for those to devour. And we're to be vigilant by humbling ourselves before the Lord, submitting ourselves to God and resisting the devil, being honest with our shortcomings when we fall, Because God's grace isn't a credit card, but it's there for us to fall upon the mercy seat and ask for forgiveness when we sin. God's word tells us that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. If we say in life, oh, I can do it. I got all this together, Lord. And I think the biggest problem in our life is first we resist salvation. I don't need saving. I'm okay. My life's fine. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to heaven except through him. No one gets to the Father except through Jesus, through the blood sacrifice that Jesus made for you and I. Nothing but the blood of Jesus saves us, only him. That's why I love Genesis chapter three, verse 16. I can't wait to get there next week. That even in the midst of this treacherous situation, God had a plan. And even in the midst of a treacherous situation in our life, God has a plan, The question is, are we willing to seek him out for that plan? Are we just going to dredge along in our own process and not rely upon him? In closing, we see in verse 7, and I know I kind of did this a little different tonight than reading the text first and then delving into it, but because of time, I wanted to just kind of get right into it. So after Adam and Eve ate of the apple, I almost said apple, we don't know what it was. We don't know. We just know it was fruit. Um, And so, uh, I mean, it could have been some fruit that doesn't exist anymore. So after she uh, gave it to her husband with her, and he ate, and we see in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, what this is not saying is that they were blind or that their eyes were closed or, you know, that they had different eyeballs than we do or didn't, had, you know, eyelids that were just different or any of that. It doesn't mean that. It means that before this moment, they were in a state of not seeing their nakedness or not seeing the, the, their, their bodies the way that they were. And, and, and in, in one, of, one of my studies, um, a commentator mentioned that it's possible that the light of God actually surrounded their bodies, that they were encompassed by the glory of God. So it's thought that Adam and Eve, before this eating of the fruit, were They were covered by the light of God, the covering of God's glory. Uh, They had no recognition of their naked bodies. And at that very moment that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the very glory of God left them. And they noticed now that they were naked. That's really the, the, the thing that happens in our life, that that when we sin, that God will not uh, abide where sin uh, abounds. He, he can't. He, he, but God's Word tells us that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, not as a, an excuse to continue sinning, but for the fact of the matter is that it doesn't matter how far away you've been from God. He's just one prayer away from being connected to Him. And we, so we see here in closing that this situation where the enemy came in right away, Use the weaker vessel, possibly being, you know, Adam wasn't around. He spoke to Eve. Eve had this dialogue, started spinning her brain around, getting her to question God's word. She ended up looking at the tree, lusting after it, seeing all these things that it could feed her body. She ignored the, the thing that God had said that she would surely die if she partook of it and ate it and gave it to her husband and he ate it. And then the glory of God left them and they were naked. And next week, we'll continue the account of the fall of man and learn about God's redemptive plan, even in the midst of this treachery. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I thank you so much, Jesus, that you saw me knowing who I was in the midst of my sin, and you ran passionately after me using people and places and things, and you constantly knocked on the door of my heart and mind calling me to you, and you still do that today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be convicted of areas of our life that aren't godly, that aren't lined up with who you are and what you're about. Holy Spirit, you bring conviction of sin. You, you bring us to a place of recognizing our need for Jesus, our Savior. And we thank you for the account in Genesis, how we can read about the enemy and how crafty he was. And Lord, it's like the, 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 the enemy's schemes are like, the plans are laid open before us. We can see the map of his army and we know that you are greater than that. And just pray, Lord, that for each and every one of us tonight, Lord, that if there's anyone here tonight that needs a touch from you, that you would just meet them. Thank you that your word never turns back void, that it always accomplishes its purpose and plan. And we thank you, Lord. I thank you that we know that you have a plan, that you made a way. You use, excuse me, your son Jesus. You allowed your son Jesus to come to this earth for us. I thank you that when Adam and Eve fell, you didn't wash your hands of mankind. Even in the midst of that, you had a plan. A plan for redemption of the world. A plan to destroy Satan. A plan to cover human beings with the sacrificial lamb, even in the garden, Lord. The skins, Lord, that we'll read about next week that you covered Adam and Eve with. You have a plan. Thank you that you're always pointing to your son. May we recognize the need that we have for him in our lives. Just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.